0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Investing from A to Z podcast. I'm your host, Steph Baudrini. This podcast is for everyone who wants to learn about commercial property investing and join our real estate family. We get the best people in the industry to give you straightforward and practical advice that you can actually use in your investing. And in today's episode, we are chatting with Renat Yusufov He is a managing partner at Bullpen. Bullpen is a firm that you can hire people to work on some of your projects on demand. And in this example, on the underwriting side of things, we are going to go over a lot of details with regards to underwriting. And I highly recommend you watching this on YouTube. The link will be under show notes. We are going to break this down into two episodes because there is a lot of information that we're going to cover today so that we can all be well-educated on the underwriting side of things. Here we go. Renat. thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to learn more about you guys and what you do. Someone actually introduced Uh, bullpen to me and recommended that I use your services, and I thought they were phenomenal. So why don't you start by sharing a little bit about you and and bullpen, please?
1: Sure. Uh, Pleasure to be here as well. So a little bit about uh, myself uh, first, and I'll go into bullpen as well. Uh, By way of background, I'm based in New York. I've worked um, in several capacities across real estate on the private equity side, asset management side as well as on the capital markets advisory side. Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn if anybody's interested. I'm probably the only Renat Yusuf on there. <laughs> uh, uh, so somewhere around 2018, I met my partner, Tyler Castleberg, who was at that point uh, starting Bullpen. The strategy really aligned between us two. Both of us had real estate investment experience and we both ran into really the same problem, both as an employee and an employer in the industry. We found that a lot of talent is, frankly, misplaced. What that does is a lot of employers end up not being able to find the right talent for the project, and a lot of professionals end up being in capacities or in jobs that don't necessarily fit for their career goals. Uh, Real estate itself is a project-based business, so it's not something you necessarily need to be doing the same thing every day. Uh, Most investment funds will probably do a few deals a year. Uh, in today's environment, large or small, you're probably looking for any specific team. Even if you're in a Blackstone, you're doing, what, like four to eight deals a year, depending on the kind of deals you do. Um, mm-hmm. Most investors do less than that. Um, I, based out of New York, any kind of mid-sized private equity fund today is probably doing anywhere between two to four, ideally. Uh, so with that in mind, we realize that if you're looking for higher-end professionals or any kind of talent that has experience in what you're looking into, uh, you're probably not interested in paying the full salary, uh, medical benefits, and any other kind of payroll cost uh, to have somebody staffed full-time if you're only going to be using them for two projects a year. Like I said, both Tyler and I have been running into this issue professionally on both sides of the, of the table. This is how the concept of Bullpen came about. Uh, so about Bullpen, uh, we are a freelance marketplace where uh, experienced talent, our average is about 10 years plus in terms of experience are able to be connected with employers who are willing to hire on a project basis, whether that's on an hourly basis, on a monthly basis, or any other kind of enterprise solution that an employer would be looking for. The services and the skill sets range pretty widely. Of course, we started with the bread and butter of financial analysis and investment analysis, which is obviously how we connected here on the modeling aspect of it. Anything from uh, OM creation, marketing, uh, investor relations, asset management, Uh, And any other facet of real estate.
0: Yes, this is a was a much needed type of of service, Um, at least for me. When I came across a potential project in San Francisco to convert an office, uh, sorry, to convert retail to office, and that's Mm -hmm. how I came across you guys because there are really a billion moving parts, especially when you're planning on developing it and building a few more floors. Why don't we dive into
1: an example? Of what you guys are doing
0: for this particular side of the business,
1: I created a template, so to speak, for an office development of what it would look like in today's day and age. The tab that I'm currently on, the outline. I just want to kind of give an outlay for what any model would really look like. I come from the philosophy that no two deals are ever going to be the same. So naturally, you will have certain changes, but obviously, the core of the model should more or less look alike and. I'll go in through um, in terms of the aerodynamics of it. And it's not just you know, a financial model. It's really a weapon <laughs>
0: right? mm-hmm. for going to
1: battle into your project. Um, so it should be flexible. It should be something that you can present relatively simply to either your lender or any kind of investors or limited partners, et cetera. It should be able to adapt to whoever your audience is. The structure of a model, in my opinion, regardless of what asset class, regardless of what the business plan is, I like to always start with a dashboard. Uh, The dashboard is really where most of the toggles will be, Um, anything that's really an input. And the reason for this is as you're going through the project, regardless of where the onset underwriting starts, along the way, as you're talking to GCs, as you're talking to other contractors, architects, lenders, investors, uh, business plans will be adjusted, they'll be tweaked, they might be entirely revised. So it's easier for any kind of user, whether it's, you know, the partner, the principal, all the way down to the analyst in a a company, um, or even if it's a third party looking at this, uh, to be able to see it all in one place, which I call the dashboard or the summary tab. The three big items that go into this are any kind of capital assumptions. So this includes um, any kind of loans you may have, construction loans, perm loans, Um, Any kind of recapitalizations and refinancings, uh, as well as anything that happens on the equity side. So any kind of splits you may have between the general partner and the limited partner, if you have a co-GP and a sponsor, and therein also the waterfall. Having it here means you don't always have to go through the entire engine of the model every time you want to update something. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second item usually ends up being its own tab (laughs) is the budget. The the start of the budget and the beginning of the project is usually, you know, ballpark. Sometimes you're probably going to do this as dollars per foot on hard costs, soft costs, any kind of architectural costs, et cetera. Chances are, as you're moving through the project, especially as you mentioned for development projects, as more and more parties look at it, GCs, architects, like I mentioned, any other kind of designers, et cetera, um, you're probably going to have a little more detail built out in the line items. I like to create a budget usually with additional rows or in a way where the formula for the sums or the subtotals calculates in a way that you can always add an extra row if you need it. it Budgets can get complicated, obviously. The only choice of preference is really, are you looking at things on a dollar per foot uh, for Mm -hmm. certain line items or if it's a fixed cost, right? Depending, regardless of how, how big you build it. It's really dealer's choice when it comes to that stuff. And the third big bucket of assumptions is the operating assumptions. This is your expected revenues, expected expenses, um, and anything else in terms of trends, right? So inflation trends, how fast you're going to grow your revenue in the case of an office development, what are your tenant improvement costs? What are your leasing commissions and anything else that will be involved in terms of your monthly or annual operation for the performance? So these are your inputs. And then below that, these are what I I call supporting and receiving to the dashboard. This is really the engine. Everything here is automated. Theoretically, somebody who is a high level user doesn't really ever need to go into these rows. They never need to go into these tabs. You know, you you obviously have to trust that it (laughs) calculates correctly. Um, But outside of that, you never have to go, as you can see here, right? Anything beyond monthly cash flows onwards in terms of my model. This is all automated and I'll get into Argus in a second. The funding schedule is really the main engine, right? It's all the money that goes in, all the money that goes out on a monthly basis. The numbers themselves aren't really important, but you know, starting with month zero all the way through the construction, the lease up, et cetera, all the associated costs, all the associated leasing and financing, all the money that goes in to fund it, to match it, and then all the operating cash flows that go into it. Same thing goes for the source and uses. Same thing goes for any kind of monthly or annual cash flows. And that's really, I think, as far as the bones of a model, I always think this is the best way to build it. Like I said, you're going to end up having to do something in terms of flexibility. Things always change, as we know, in the real world. <laughs> and any project I've ever worked on, I don't think I've ever worked on a project where whatever was in the original pro forma <laughs> is the business plan that ended up getting done. Things change pretty rapidly, especially in today's environment. So the goal is really to build it where you can quickly tweak it.
0: And does it typically end up being more expensive and a longer time frame or the opposite? When you say that none of them end up being the exact same numbers?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a great question. I would say, I guess in this environment, it's a mixed bag. I think historically people's underwritings or, you know, like I said, I've been on the advisory side where people would send me a model of what they want to get done. And then I'd go to the market for both a loan and the equity to figure Mm -hmm. it out with them. You know, I've been on the private equity side where on the buy side, essentially, where either somebody sends me a model or I build it initially. And then I say, look, this is what we want to get delivered. This is the returns we're looking for. I would say, generally speaking, and this isn't true of everyone, generally speaking, people's underwriting tends to be on the aggressive side. Yeah. So whether, whether you're on the buy or the sell side, whatever model you receive, you're probably reining it in. Um, In the Mm -hmm. sense of you think the rents may be too aggressive, or the rent growth is too aggressive, or, you know, the expenses are need to be buffered up a little bit. Um, One place where a lot of things might be hidden or misinterpreted is any kind of capital expenses, right? So People underestimate what it costs to you know, repair or repaint a hallway right, or common space in an office building if they're buying it already built. The best way to go about this, whether you're just at the beginning of building your model or you're going along and trying to flesh out your business plan and get it uh, to market, I would say is contact as many professionals as possible. This is obviously a networking business talk to the brokers about the rents, what they can reasonably achieve as you're going through your process of selecting a broker, talk to several GCs about your cost, right? What they can reasonably get you as far as a budget and where you could reasonably land in terms of uh, your total construction costs. One thing about that, as we all know, this year has been very crazy, especially Mm -hmm. with regards to wood and metal skyrocketing costs. I think they're getting reined in as of, I guess, the last few weeks, it seems. But it really doesn't number on anything that has been, let's say, underwritten, you know, Q4 of last year, Q1 of this year, right? And they're just now beginning construction. They just got all their permits, et cetera. And (laughs) the budget is, I mean, 40% higher, right? It's no one's fault, again, right? And it's it's not that somebody maliciously or in any other kind of reason, you know, for nefarious reasons, decided to underwrite lower costs is just, you never know. The goal from the underwriting or the model point of view, again, you know, this is your weapon, you want it to be adaptable, is to be able to quickly, as soon as you find out, right, readjust the construction costs and then look at the returns, what it does to them, because that is an output. But I guess that was a very long answer to a question about where does a beginning business plan start? I would say you most likely will see it to be more aggressive than usual or than it'll actually place.
0: Yeah, I would have imagined that. I'm curious to see how you account for that on your model.
1: Yep. Again, my viewpoint is whichever role you play on any project. Um, let's say you know, somebody first presents this to you and you, know, you want to take a deal and you, let's say you're an investor, right? I think that's probably mm-hmm. the easiest role to play yeah. here. Let's say you're a limited partner. Someone says, hey, I have a great deal for you. I just need X amount of dollars. Um, You take a look at this, right? And they say, okay, well, these look like great construction returns. As you can see over here, this is project level unlevered and Levered, right? Okay. For construction, 30% IRR, probably a great deal in today's environment. Is it true? (laughs) Is the question, right? So if I'm an investor, I don't want to go through all these tabs. I don't necessarily want to go through the Argus. I look at summaries, right? So the untrended stabilized performance financing assumptions for the construction loan, the total sources and uses are so basically all the money that goes in and all the associated costs, construction costs. Everything is summed up here. So I can go through this and look at this. Okay, well, do I believe these rents, for example, right? 70 a foot. It could be yes, it could be a no. If I've experience with any kind of management of offices, right? I look at the expenses. Regardless of what you're building, dollar per foot tends to be on, an, on a net square foot basis. Tends to be a pretty consistent metric. Obviously, as you can see here, this specific business plan is for you know, one of those nice office buildings built in this environment more for co-use of amenities, um, larger floor layouts so they can be a little more flexible in terms of partitioning for multiple tenants. So you would go through what numbers you do believe or don't believe. Again, I, from my experience of doing any kind of deals, lean on experts a lot. Whatever I think I know about rents, I will inevitably go through a process of talking to multiple brokers. Personally, that's my favorite part of this business. Is that <laughs> I, I, I think my phone battery dies maybe three or four times a day. <laughs> oh my um, god! <laughs> yeah, it's uh, t- maybe I just have an old phone, but it, it is it is a it is a fact that you know I'm on the call. I'm on the calls pretty much all day with contractors, with brokers, just trying to figure out where the market is on any specific deal, right? Because every deal is custom. But it's, it's a fun part of the business, right? You're always learning, you're always hearing new things, and you shouldn't be expected to know everything yourself as far as uh, these numbers. Not
0: um, at all. It's, it's too yeah. much. It's, <laughs> it's too crazy. Much.
1: Yeah. So um, to answer your question, right, I, I would go row by row of what I believe, but I would be more interested in a deal if it was easier. it was presented to me this way right, I'd be more interested in it. That way, you know, it's not just, okay, I'm probably gonna have to spend four hours looking through this whole model to learn it. Of it's course. more of a, here's my rents, here's my expenses, here's where the loan is underwritten, right? Do I believe this rate? Uh, do I believe this leverage, um, et cetera. Obviously, the more experience you have, the quicker you can get through something like this, but at least it's all on a single page that you can even print if you need to you know, take it on the go.
0: How about we go through some of these tabs as, as a developer?
1: Sure. So as a developer, let's say that I am the sponsor on this deal. Obviously, I'm trying to present it to investors and as well as construction lenders. My goal here is, and this is personal preference, I would rather be more conservative on the, on the first onset. That way, you know, inevitably, you're negotiating, right? You're going to negotiate with the lender. No matter what you present them, <laughs> they will rein you in that's just their job everyone will try to rein you in on everything they can because that's you know obviously everybody wants to um outperform whatever is initially presented so in order to really cut the part of you know how long it might take to negotiate and agree on any of these numbers i tend to be a little more conservative in the underwriting so beginning with the financing construction debt tricky conversation today i'm not gonna claim to know what it's like across the entire country. Sure. Um, relatively conservative uh, to say that 50% of your total costs will be covered by debt. I think anybody, any lender out there who's currently lending will probably agree with that and they'd be willing to look at a deal. If I go to any kind of lender and say, you know, I have, or I need 75% of my total cost to be debt, either they will not look at the deal <laughs> yeah. or it'll be yeah. a or more extensive conversation in terms of, um, you know, getting to a deal with them. You know, similar with the rate, it's split up in two, but essentially this is four and a quarter. Again, highly contentious subject. Depending on the marketplace you're looking at today, if you're lucky, you might get below four these days
0: for construction. Um,
1: yeah, it, it's. It, wow. I think that's. I think that's aggressive. Yeah. Um, that being said, it plays in terms in terms of what other things you're doing. Right. So, if you're asking for high leverage and a low rate, you're probably not getting it. Um, sure. It's one or the other in some cases. And the. Second part of financing is on the equity side. And by the way, there's obviously things in between. It just doesn't, you know, to avoid complication, I, I didn't include it here. Anything regarding mezzanine debt, um, any kind of preferred equity, et cetera, that might be in between. Pace loans are a subject matter, obviously not for office, but, you know, any, anything else that goes in between would be included in this box for whoever's putting in money to look at. The split here is 90% will be the LP, right? This is a toggle, by the way. So it just overrides it as necessary. And the remainder is funded by the GP. Within the GP, I usually like to split up in case there's usually more than common. Today, there's going to be more than one partner doing the construction. There's a sponsor and there's a co-developer. Either they're providing you their balance sheet so you can go get the construction loan, right? Or anything else, any kind of other guarantee t-value because most sponsors are at this point treading pretty lightly so it's nice to spread that risk and reward of course with that
0: and i don't think we covered mezzanine debt on the podcast yet do you mind just Mm -hmm. sharing for in case anyone doesn't know what it is please sure
1: yep very high level so your senior loan right in this case it's a construction loan um, which once you build it once you finish building it and you stabilize your product you go to a perm loan which will be your mortgage essentially what a mezzanine loan is, it, it's, it's more expensive debt. It's subordinate to construction or to your primary loan, that we just mentioned. It usually comes from a private equity fund or any kind of equity bucket that are, is willing to have lower risk and lower returns than an equity investor. Uh, so for example, if your loan here is at 50% loan to cost, right? So 50% of all your costs are covered by your senior loan. Mm-hmm. But that's, for some reason, not enough for you, right? You need more debt proceeds and you don't necessarily can fill that amount with equity, right? You mm-hmm. just don't have the investors to fill up 50%. You would find a mezzanine lender for, let's say, another 20%. So that means that your debt is really 70%. Keep in mind, your mezzanine debt is probably going to be obviously a higher rate than it, it would be for your senior. That is because they're subordinate and you know, they're higher up in the stack. Their, their last dollar is more yep. risky, But they're not as risky as the equity part. So they're somewhere in between, essentially. But it's treated like a loan. It's just more expensive money, essentially, but not as expensive as equity.
0: We will continue this conversation on the next episode. And if you haven't already, and if you are learning from this podcast, I would greatly appreciate a review. And I would love to thank also one of our latest reviewers, BKBCN great commercial real estate podcast. Stephanie brings great guests and content for those that want to level up their commercial real estate knowledge and at work. Please continue making positive waves from A to Z. Thank you so much, BKBCN. I really appreciate your review and I will see you next time.